the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Liebson. As we head into Hour 3 this Monday, June 6th, 2022, I heard Adam Schiff say on television this weekend that because of Donald Trump and his big lie, this was the first non-peaceful transfer of power in our nation's history. I'm not sure if my math is right or my comprehension, but in that one sentence, I found at least three greater lies. First, January 6th was not a transfer of power day and was never intended to be. That's what we usually call Inauguration Day, and it takes place on January 20th. It has taken place on January 20th since 1937. That's the transfer of power, officially and in every other way. January 6th is an Electoral College certification day for Congress to meet and vote on certifying the Electoral College tally with a provision in law that's been around since the 19th century, providing for members to challenge those votes and certifications, just like Barbara Boxer famously did in 2004. Title III, Section 15 of the U.S. Code, to be exact. Second, Does the year 1860 mean anything to Adam Schiff? It was a big part of our history. I mean, we're reminded of the issues surrounding it nearly all the time, which is fine by me. It's just that I'd like the winning side's philosophy taught more, at least taught as the American view of what transpired and what the victors marched for, fought for, and won in the Civil War. But before he was even inaugurated, after the 1860 election, seven states already seceded before Lincoln ever took the oath of office. I'd say that's a pretty non-peaceful transfer of power. Third, what of the inauguration four years prior to Joe Biden's? Was that peaceful? Here's a Reuters report from 2017 on the day of the inauguration of Donald Trump. Quote, black clad activists among hundreds of demonstrators protesting Donald Trump's swearing in clashed with police a few blocks from the White House in an outburst of violence rare for, inaugura- rare for inaugurations. 217 people were arrested. In the violence, knots of activists in black clothes and masks threw rocks and bottles at officers who had to wear riot gear and responded with volleys of tear gas and stun grenades as helicopters hovered low overhead. At one flashpoint, a protester hurled an object through the passenger window of a police van, which sped away in reverse as demonstrators cheered. Earlier, activists used chunks of pavement baseball bats to shatter the windows of Bank America branch and a McDonald's outlet as symbols of American capitalism. Six police officers were hospitalized. Close quote. That was the Trump inauguration. Transfer of power day. The Biden inauguration? Nothing. Zip. A sea of tranquility. Adam Schiff is perhaps just confused or living in the past. There was a completely 
peaceful transfer of power to Joe Biden. There was not for Donald Trump. That weekend boasted a march in Washington where famous people were cheered for threatening to blow up the White House with Donald Trump in it. Totally peaceful, I guess. But then again, we live in a world where a speech imploring people to march peacefully and patriotically is insurrection and cause for impeachment, and a world where riots that led to 14 times the number of arrests on January 6th caused billions of dollars of damage, led to massive resignations of police leadership, and led to the deaths of at least two dozen people is, you know, say it with me, mostly peaceful. You can make any point you want when you simply revise history and make words mean what you want them to mean rather than what the speaker meant when he said them or what the standard dictionary definition of those words means in the first place. That's a tyranny we live under as well. Nobody voted and the editorial boards at major dictionary companies never edited those words to be changed. But your world is rapidly changing under and in that Humpty Dumpty tyranny. Speech is violence. Violence is mostly peaceful. Peaceful marching is insurrection. Gender changing is gender affirming. Keeping hands off a body is having clinicians operate in your body. Wanting those hands off the body is putting hands on it. Build back better means higher gas prices and food shortages. Colorblindness is racism. Discrimination is anti-racism. And voter suppression is more people voting than ever before. Oh, And questioning Trump's legitimacy is patriotic, while questioning Biden's is not. This is what we are doing to ourselves. Well, this is what one movement and one party is doing to all of us. We were a different country once, not long ago. Think about today, 78 years ago. That was a different country, a serious country, doing serious things, and united on doing them. That is when Democratic presidents, A, knew how to fight wars, and B, knew how to speak to Americans and America's best and deepest roots and interests. When President Franklin Roosevelt read the prayer for D-Day 78 years ago today, it was the largest public prayer in history up to that time. And it was a prayer for our troops and our whole nation, really all the moral lights in our universal constellation. You've heard enough renditions of it today probably, so I'll just highlight a couple of points from the prayer. Aside from the invocation to pray at the beginning, it's the conclusion I like so much, where Franklin Roosevelt said the following, quote, And, O Lord, give us faith, give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of spirit ever be dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events and temporal matters of but fleeting moment, let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogancies. Lead us to the saving of a country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all men live in freedom reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Close quote. Ours was a crusade, and we said that with no embarrassment or apology. Our enemy holy, and we united to that belief with no embarrassment or apology. Some men are unworthy, in other words, wrong or evil, 
Freedom is worth fighting and dying for, and racial arrogancies, that is to say racial hierarchies of categorization and those who support them, must be conquered. Find me a Democrat who believes any of that anymore. Scott Johnston over at Powerline published a great piece of history today. Orders the members of the Navy on the European front received just before D-Day. I shall give you one of the sixth paragraphs. Quote, it is not we who have to fear the outcome. As the German has learned from failure, we have learned from success. To this battle we bring our tested methods with new weapons and overwhelming strength. Tides and currents present a challenge which, forewarned, we know how to meet. And it will take more than the last convulsive effort of the beaten master race to match the fighting spirit of the American Navy. It is the enemy who is afraid. I love how everyone knew about the moral lights being blown out in Europe. We're all about it. A concept of a master race, as Admiral and Commander Alan Goodrick Kirk put in that letter, incredible. I use that phrase to discuss World War II a good deal, moral lights, but it's really from the precursor to our Civil War, from Abraham Lincoln's first debate with Stephen Douglas, where Lincoln said, quote, Henry Clay once said of a class of men who would repress all tendencies to liberty and ultimate emancipation that they must, if they would do this, go back to the era of our independence and muzzle the cannon which thunders its annual joyous return. They must blow out the moral lights around us. They must penetrate the human soul and eradicate there the love of liberty. And then, and not till then, could they perpetuate slavery in this country, close quote. It's amazing how much the totalitarian impulse mixed with issues of race has dominated so much of our moral vocabulary throughout history, as well as the fulcrums upon which we measure and balance our moral sense and cause. There are four parts to this import, it seems to me. Part one is the requirement of a moral sense, a belief in right and wrong, a rebuke to anything considered relativism or embodied in the phrase, my truth. After all, Adolf Hitler and Jefferson Davis had their truths too, and they weren't on the same moral plane as Churchill's and Lincoln's. Two, words meant things, and they meant the same things to all people, because we are humans with the capability of two things that distinguish us as people, as Aristotle taught, speech and reason. Three, the notion of what constitutes a human being is central to all of this, as is the embodiment, derivation, and implication of rights that all entails. When we declared our independence and liberty, we did so on the basis of all human beings being equal. That meant inheritors of and thus deserving of the same rights as one another, which is what delivered us the notion of a republic or democracy, if you wish. If we aren't all equal, there's no reason to vote. There can be no government by the consent of the governed, as there cannot be consent among unequal parties. You know this in contract law. We should know this just as much in the natural law and governments that are the basis of our existence that are based on it. Finally, the immorality of that which we've seemed to fight since the beginning of time is about exactly the opposite. Chasing classes or categorizing classes of human beings contra our declaration of independence into non-human beings or lives unworthy of living or untermenschen. Slaves were given names to help remove their human relationship to us so that we could do to them not what we do to fellow human beings, but to beasts of burden. 
Jews, the same dysgenesis in Germany, and anyone else who didn't fit into the Third Reich's racial arrogancies. And of course here, with any number of people and issues, born and unborn. Politically, this is what the lies and distortion of language and revision of history is all about when it comes to making another meal of January 6th, as Joe Biden plans to do this week. To remove Republicans from the category of legitimacy, to cleanse the stage and state of any oppositional ideology. Thomas Jefferson could state, we are all Federalists, we are all Republicans, as he did in his very first inaugural address, which was a truly first in peaceful transfers of power. And he recognized in that most bitterest of contests that every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. Well, the other side here changed their principles. They aren't based on founding creeds anymore or anything related to constitutionalism. And now they, having done so, having redefined the game and its rules, tell us we're not part of it anymore. Ilya Shapiro was a widely respected, self-described libertarian professor at Georgetown Law School. He questioned the qualifications of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and the mob rose up to end his career. Today, he resigned from Georgetown. One of his colleagues, this is a law professor at Georgetown, one of the top 10 most prestigious law schools in the country, one of his colleagues named Professor Heidi Feldman wrote this, quote, We have only one political party in this country, the Democrats. The other group is a combination of a cult and an insurrection-supporting crime syndicate. She went on, quote, The only ethically and politically responsible stance to take toward the Republican Party is to consistently point out that it is no longer a legitimate participant in U.S. constitutional democracy, close quote. This is a professor of law, philosophy, and torts. She is herself a tort from everything law and philosophy was supposed to teach. A tort is a twist, a twerk, a wrong. And I think we now have a new meaning to what it's like to live in a tortuous society. Thank God it was different 78 years ago. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends, and what they are offering is a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people to dig out of debt and doing their best to do so and doing it the right way. That is to say, doing the right thing, paying off their debts, doing it with dignity, even getting massive FICO score recovery along the way. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and it's run by, as I say, really great people who are really doing very well by helping others, and you can be as well. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 855 Three one six three zero eight seven. That's investyrefi.com dot com or eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. Abe Hamaday is uh, 
going to join us uh, in just a few moments on the other side of the of uh, the commercial break. My candidate for attorney general got a major endorsement and uh, also wants to address Joe Biden's campaigns campaign against gun ownership, uh, which is what you're going to need now. You're going to need strong prosecutors, strong attorneys general and strong county uh, counties attorney. Do you do that? Strong counties attorney, strong districts attorney, strong district attorneys. <laughs> Never heard that construction, but it's probably right. You're going to need them to uh, resist the president's plans, the Democrats' plans, the administration's plans over the next two years. I use the word resist advisedly because that was the code word for what the Democrats said they were doing to the Trump administration. The question really is who's doing what in the name of what constitutional provision, individual right, or guarantee? Is it resistance to fight back on a constitutional basis against something unconstitutional? Or is that just good public office leadership? Abe Hamaday, to me, is the one who will be able to do this the best, which is why, for a Many reasons. He's my candidate for attorney general. Yes, we will be getting mail-in ballots soon. We had a call last week asking me if I would do a um, comprehensive uh, comprehensive announcement of my endorsements in the races I've endorsed in, and I will. I'll, I'll do one better. I'll not only give you my endorsements. I'll give you reasons why. Uh, I'll give you my reasons why, and you do with them what you want. You take, you take what you want and leave the rest. Disregard them, uh, whatever you want. But uh, I will do that. I have some very strong feelings about some of these races, very strong, uh, p- uh, about three races in particular. But I have endorsements in a few others as well. And uh, we'll go through that. We'll do that together. Um, California tomorrow is going to teach us something. They're going through another primary election uh, for the governor's race. And I guess the thing that will be most interesting is whether this uh, Dr. Michael Schellenberger, who's running as an independent, will come in second. You know, California has this uh, top two primary uh, where the top two vote getters go on to face each other in the general. That could mean that could very well mean that a Republican will not be on the ticket in California, because if the Republican running loses to the independent Schellenberger, then it'll just be Newsom versus the independent. Newsom's running for reelection. It'll just be Newsom versus the independent. uh, Dianne Feinstein won her last election with no Republican opposition because of this very thing. I, I don't like these top two primary systems at all. I think they're disruptive. But it does show you something interesting about the state and fate of California, where conservatives are hanging their hat on an independent rather than a Republican. Well, he's a hell of an independent, Schellenberger. He's done some great work on mental health, drugs, and the homeless. Um, Just want him to come our – just call yourself a Republican and be done with it. Just be done with it. It would be much better for purposes of clarification – And it would be much better to have people like him in and defining our party. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sounds of some nice places for a summer getaway. I'll tell you who's not getting away. Abe Hamaday, he is running an election here. He is uh, running for election here to be our state's attorney general. He is my candidate, fully uh, and completely endorse him. I love this guy. Abeforag.com is his website, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-G.com. And uh, just picked up another great endorsement, uh, a really big one. Abe, congratulations on this. Uh, you want to tell the audience about it, or do you want me to? Uh, you can go ahead, Seth. Well, Abe was just endorsed by Senator Rand Paul. Rand Paul wrote, I've witnessed Abe's dedication to the advancement of liberty for the past 15 years, and as Attorney General, he can." He will continue to serve as a strong defender of personal, religious, medical, and economic freedoms. The battle for liberty is more critical than ever, and that is why we need a new generation of constitutional fighters like Abraham Hamaday. Abe will fight on the front lines to defend the Constitution and push back against the radical left, and that is why I proudly endorse him for Attorney General. Senator Rand Paul. Constitutional fighter, Abe. That's a pretty good uh, sobriquet. You want to take it up? <laughs> I mean, that was, he's a titan of liberty. Yes, he is. That, so, uh, that's why I'm so honored and proud to have Senator Rand Paul's endorsement. I mean, what he's done for freedom the past, you know, 12 years he's been in the U.S. Senate, but even more so in the past two years when he's been taking on Dr. Fauci mm-hmm. uh, and his draconian policies. So, you know, I'm excited for, you know, Rand Paul and when we get the majority back in the Senate, I think, you know, we're going to have some, we're going to have, um, you know, justice come for what they've done to us. And I'm excited to work with Senator Rand Paul. You know, this is what when I talk about with people is, you know, the fights that we're happening right now, it really is all encompassing. That's why you're, I'm having national figures get involved in my race. Absolutely. I think we realize, you know, these races are no longer localized. That's the right. radical left, this is why George Soros plays in, you know, DA races. And now the Republicans are starting to get smart. This is why we need strong America first conservative Republicans in office. And that's why I'm, I'm really honored to have Yeah, you're making a really good point uh, there that, you know, the Tip O'Neill days of all politics is local is a little bit uh, is a little bit worn out right now. And it's a little bit worn out because of the increase um, and effort of, you know, federal bureaucracy, federal bureaucrats. Uh, the progressive effort that seems to emanate from Washington, D.C., that has taken over so much of what has tried to take over so much of what has used to be known or so much of what is constitutionally known and historically and used to be known as local issues. Um, and and even if they if they don't want to act on a national issue that affects affects us locally, well, then we need to step up too. I'm talking, for example, about our border but your point about a, a majority in the Senate or a majority in Congress to Abe is a good one. Um, the first accountability I'd like to see, I, I have a lot of hearings in mind. I have a lot of things that need congressional investigation. By the way, with the same kind of subpoena power they used against Peter Navarro, you'd back those kinds of investigations, wouldn't you? Absolutely. When they ask us what kind of democracy would you have, I'll just tell them the one you've shown us, the one you've given us, <laughs> you know, the one you've modeled. The one you've modeled for us, except we'll do it within constitutional purviews. You know, Senator Rand Paul and his endorsement of you, Abe, did did make um, did make a list of reasons why why he uh, he is endorsing you. One of them, strong defender of personal, religious, medical, and economic freedoms. 
the medical freedoms. That's the one you were talking about. I mean, where would we have been without someone like Rand Paul in the United States Senate during the COVID shakedown? I um, I, I have to tell you, we're going to need AGs like you, too, to stand in the breach if anything like that were to ever happen again. I'll never get over in our very first interview. You said you would never tolerate standing up for shutting down schools and businesses for a virus. Absolutely. And I think that's where we just imagine if we had a Senator Rand Paul attorney general, right. you know, which is something I intend to be, where you value freedom, you value our, our foundation's documents and you know, how quickly they were able to shut down churches, schools, small businesses. Let's not forget Governor Doug Ducey's emergency executive order. He just ended it last month. That's right. In April, actually. That's right. And so he had had the executive order for two years. How could anybody have an emergency powers for two years and how we tolerate that? And that's not something that we've seen that we should see in 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 a representative republic like we have. And this is where it requires a strong attorney general to have the backs of our small businesses. And at the time, you know, how quickly were we were we shutting down small cafes in Wickenburg or Fountain Hills, you know, or, or these small gyms? And you know, what we've realized is being healthy and fit is actually one of the best safeguards against the coronavirus. And you know, it, and that, nothing ever made sense during that time period. And that's why I appreciated Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, you know, these these titans of liberty in Congress um, to defend us. And that's what I was desperately looking for at the state uh, level. And I think that's, I think there's a big seismic shift coming uh, next November, this November. And, you know, I, I don't think the establishment realizes it's going to happen, but we're going to get some fresh blood in there to shake things up. Good. I'm glad to hear it, Abe. I want to pick up on some of that when we come back. i got to take a quick commercial break right here. We'll come back with some more. I want to talk to you a little bit about some other areas uh, of expertise you you bring. us a lot of talk about Saudi Arabia lately. You have been deployed there. You know it well. By the way, for people who want to follow you on Twitter, at Abraham Hamaday, at Abraham, H-A-M-A-D-E-H. It's a fabulously active and fun Twitter account. And for his website, it's abeforag.com. I'm Seth. He's Abe. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Abraham Hamaday is our guest. He's my candidate, hopefully yours too, for uh, state attorney general. He was just endorsed. He's got a good pack of endorsements. He was just most recently endorsed uh, this weekend by Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul. Great endorsement. We talked a little bit about that. The last thing, he's got some other great endorsements, including Rick Grinnell, who is President Trump's director of national intelligence, Robert O'Brien, who is President Trump's national security advisor, Cash Patel, who is the chief of staff for the Department of Defense under President Trump, uh, others, uh, Chris Miller, President Trump's uh, secretary of defense. The entire actual national security apparatus of the Trump administration has endorsed Abe Hamaday. That should tell you something about not only his seriousness and his ability, but his commitment to national security as well. Abe, speaking of national security, um, the White House and the president are trying to effort something with Saudi Arabia. It's not entirely clear. It looks like it's probably to help bail them out of the gas price problem we're all facing right now. Um, You know Saudi Arabia well, having been declared deployed there uh, wearing the uniform of the United States of America. Uh, What's your sense of what the White House and the administration is doing vis-a-vis that country? What's your sense of our relationship with Saudi Arabia right now? 
I think it's important for your listeners to understand that, you know, President Trump, when he was in office, he valued American energy independence. And although he went to Saudi Arabia, that was the first country he visited as president, he went there basically letting them know that we're going to start to produce our own oil and we're going to be energy independent, but we have to maintain a good relationship with Saudi Arabia because they are a geopolitical ally in the region. And then before you know, Biden took office, actually, he called Saudi Arabia a pariah state. Right, and then that. when he took office, he delisted the, the Yemen Houthi terrorists who were shooting missiles at us while I was in Saudi Arabia. Wow. He delisted them as a terrorist organization. Um, and besides that, he also said that he doesn't want... That's the Iran-backed. That's the Iran-backed organization, right? That's the Iran-backed organization that was that was lobbing missiles at you. Yeah, they're the proxy organization right. for Iran. Right. Um, yeah, they're in Yemen. But those, I mean, those missiles, they would go hundreds of miles you know, into Saudi Arabia. They were, they were sophisticated weaponry that the Iranians were giving them. But Joe Biden delisted them as a terrorist organization. And then he also said he didn't want to communicate with Crown Prince MBS. Right. He, he, put, he downgraded his level to dealing with only um, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, actually. So he's really angered the Saudis. And, um, you know, now that since he's totally ruined our energy policy, uh, now we desperately need oil. And he's trying to meet with the Saudis, actually, meet the Israelis. And they're not very happy with him. They, they don't really see uh, a point of meeting with, with Joe Biden, especially from all the comments. So he's, he's operating in a foreign policy, in the position on the world stage, in a position of weakness. And I think that's what people recognize with Donald Trump. I mean, make no mistake, he was operating the world in a position of strength, where America was energy dominant, where America didn't have to rely on, you know, Saudi Arabia or these other other nefarious countries. Uh, but this is where Joe Biden's lack of leadership has been on, on full display. I mean, President Trump literally got peace in the Middle East last with the Abraham Accords, mm-hmm. which were not named after. <laughs> uh, you know, he got he got the United Arab Emirates and Israel to make peace, and now that they have billions of dollars uh, flowing in with the, with them in Saudi Arabia, I assure you, we're making peace with Israel within the next year or two. I mean, when I was deployed to Saudi Arabia, I would talk to um, you know these Saudi uh, officers and their, and their security forces, and you know the the biggest thing that they recognized was Donald Trump, and something they valued was his unpredictability, yet he was courageous yeah, and steadfastness right? and when, in in where he would not compromise. I think that was one of the magic parts of the Abraham Accords when he, when he firmly uh, decided that he was going to recognize uh, the uh, Golan Heights as well as uh, and then Jerusalem as the capital for the U.S. embassy. That sent a message, a message that Saudi Arabia was willing to accept, not a message Iran was willing to accept. And that's the thing about those two countries, isn't it, Abe? I mean, you tell me, but. My sense is these both these 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 countries you use the word nefarious. We'll stick with that. One of them has tried to ally with us and is pliable to our concerns. The other wishes and chants for our death on a daily basis. Isn't that is that a fair yeah. and accurate statement? Yeah, it is. I mean, Saudi Arabia isn't they're not angels. I mean, fifteen of the nineteen hijackers were Saudi citizens, sure. and the one the Pensacola terrorist attack in twenty nineteen in December it was a Saudi Arabian pilot. We killed three of our service members. However, they are changing very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, th- although they've been one of the 
biggest perpetrators of spreading radical Islamism throughout the world. Sure. I think Crown Prince MBS has done a very good job at reining in some of the Wahhabist sects. And, you know, I think we, we have to, we have to, it's a carrot stick approach. I don't know why Joe Biden was beating on them, especially, you know, while MBS has been transforming Saudi Arabia. I was there when women were driving, yeah. right? They didn't have to work burkas. I mean, I think Trump recognized the importance of that relationship and really has done such a service. But, you know, if you see with the Saudis, what they really respect about Donald Trump, too, is his decisiveness. He killed Qasem Soleimani, That's the Iranian right. Revolutionary Guard commander, you know, quickly while the rest of the world was freaking out about him. That's and right. And I think, you know, he, he did that so decisively. The Saudis always respected him for that reason. And, you know, I was there when Joe Biden transitioned and became um, president. And he immediately withheld, um, you know, shipments of Patriot missiles to protect them against the, the Yemen Houthi rebels. So, you know, the relationship is very strained right now. So I, I, I do, for America's sake, I hope we can. Oh, hell, a lot of relationships are strained right now and have been for the past two years. I just saw a report that the president of Mexico is thumbing his nose at a, at a summit uh, that Joe Biden invited him to as well. This is this this is. Yeah, <laughs> it's not foreign policy is not necessarily the purview of the Arizona AG, but at least with the title, maybe you can get some memos up to the White House that will be recognized as at least sound thinking. They could use it. We could use you badly, Abe. So I can't wait for November when we get to uh, vote for you. And I can't wait for next January when we get to inaugurate you. It can't come fast enough. Thanks for stopping by, buddy, as always, or taking the call. Of course. Thank you so much, Beth. Absolutely. Abraham Hamaday, at Abraham Hamaday on Twitter, H-A-M-A-D-E-H, Abe for A-G on the web. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Uh, portions of the show brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is their website. Good people. They're involved in a campaign to teach American history. Uh, we've talked a little bit about it here. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in the future. But uh, God bless them, and God bless their great product. Uh, one daily dose of Balance of Nature, one serving of Balance of Nature, Gives you 10 servings of fruits and vegetables, a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. And it's 100% pure. Pure, potent plant power. I take it every single day. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Speaking of American history, today is obviously a day pregnant with it when you think about D-Day. My daddy was in World War II, but he was on the... uh, he was on the Pacific side in the Pacific theater um, fighting uh, the Japanese, not the Europeans. And um, as for this turn that D-Day meant for the entire war effort, I uh, talked a little bit about some of what Franklin Roosevelt said. This is the letter Dwight Eisenhower from the Supreme Headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Force wrote to soldiers, sailors and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. He wrote, You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. Crusade was everywhere, wasn't it? The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, 
the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man-to-man. Our air offense has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessings of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. You didn't have to talk about American greatness in those days. It flowed in all of our blood, and it was in all of the air that we breathed. Today, it's a proposition we have to defend, not with the Nazis, but with fellow Americans, some of whom ever learned the lessons of Nuremberg sad to say. Until tomorrow, thank you for spending some of your day with us. God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 